0: there, I'm Valérie Gras and you are listening to Texture's Texture's is a podcast about art, design and entrepreneurship in each episode, I chat with artists, designers, creators and innovators the people who add textures to our world in each episode, you will meet with creative minds, discover their world, their work and how they made it happen Texture is an informal and open conversation about living and leading a creative life. Today I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with Sarah House. Sarah is a ceramic artist who works primarily in clay. We met at her studio here in New Orleans. Sarah House creates sculpture and functional works inspired by natural fractals. If you're like me, you are not aware, but we are surrounded by it. And maybe, just because like me, you do not really know what natural fractals are. This episode will open up your eyes. Sarah's creativity is a combination of her passion for both mathematics and nature. She earned her BFA from Tyler School of Art and her MFA from Tulane University. Her love for adventure led her to participate in artists in residence programs in the US, Asia, Europe and South America. She travelled the world in search of inspiration. Sarah works with different types of clay and porcelain, and she worked at many different scales, from very small item to large mural installation. Let's meet with Sarah House. Sarah, thank you for coming here. Thank you you so much. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Uh, Sarah, can you tell us how you became a
1: ceramic artist? Sure. Well, um, I started taking classes at a local community college where I grew up in Baltimore. And I took painting and drawing and welding and woodworking. And the last class that I took was ceramics. And I really liked it. I really liked the community of people there. And so I just sort of stuck with it ever since. Good. So you really tried many uh, means of expression. It's true. Um, And when I I transferred from that community college to art school in Philadelphia, um, I actually became a sculpture major. But the community around the sculpture department was not very welcoming for for some reason. And I took an elective in ceramics. And the ceramics community, they were so warm and welcoming and... uh, they convinced me to switch over because I could still make sculpture, but within the ceramics department. So then I left my major as a sculptor and went to ceramics and I have no regrets. So
0: I didn't know anything before I went to your studio, you know, about ceramic, uh, ceramic art before. And it's very physical. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really put your hands on, you're in direct contact with clay, dirt, and it's very intense, the connection between the artist and the
1: material. Can you speak about it, you know, about the relationship
0: you have with this material? Sure.
1: Well, I feel like that's um, part of why it's so satisfying is because I am touching it. I am. I feel like physically part of the process, and it it feels that I'm almost more connected to it than if if I was only making something with tools. If I was making um, a painting, for example, you know, there's a there's the brush in between me and the art. Um, but if I'm actually touching it with my hands and forming it with my hands, it almost feels—it feels more satisfying in in some way. That's sometimes hard to put words to, but it just seems like it makes sense to me.
0: And it's very—you're uh, you talking about having pens in your uh, arms uh, because yeah. you really have to to get deep into the material and just make it. Take full possession of the material, and mm-hmm. just you and the material just become
1: one. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Uh, you need certain amount of muscles to lift the work, loading the kilns, wedging the clay. It's heavy. It's dirty. It can. You can. Be, you know. Break a sweat, and uh, it's just very satisfying. I think it attracts a certain s- sort of person. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there is something very um, interesting when I went to your studio. So you're talking about the. Dirt and something very dirty, and you know. Um, In another hand, I saw some very refined porcelain pieces, and porcelain and clay, it's can you just speak about the difference?
1: Sure. Um, Well, porcelain is a type of clay, so, but not all clay is porcelain. Um, Porcelain uh, is a more refined type of clay, the particles are all very small. The particles are all very uniform and smooth. So you can get a certain level of detail uh, with porcelain that you might not be able to get with a very groggy or rocky clay body. Um, porcelain also has uh, the ability to be translucent if it's very thin. It uh, has a certain sound. If you kind of ping it with your fingernail, it'll make a certain ring that other clays will not. So there's a there's a certain level of refinement that is achievable with a porcelain that is harder to find in other clays. But there are other clays that you can kind of get away with some of that. You might not get the translucency, but you can get the smoothness, for example. Like the clay that I use is not porcelain. Um, It's a lower fire clay, but it's very smooth, so I can get that nice, soft, smooth texture without needing to invest in very expensive clay and fire it to a very high temperature, which is also kind of expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Does that I answer your question? No, okay. it does. It okay, does. Good. It does.
0: Um, but I noticed you you work with both. And, mm-hmm. you know, just right now, you're working on the a type of clay. But mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to ask you. And I also did not realize, but it's your work is extremely technical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really have to uh, think about how you're going to put things together because you have weight and structure. It's basically... Uh, like an architect or maybe a structural engineer, mm-hmm. you have to maybe think of your foundation before. And I know there is other approach to um, the ceramic art that maybe you can also mention. You know, uh, I mean, just if you sure. can just explain us.
1: Well, it is a it is a super technical medium, um, which is why I think it requires a lot of schooling in order to master it in a way. Um, Cracks can happen, things can blow up in the kiln. You can get it all the way to the glazing stage, but then something is a malfunction in the glaze or the kiln malfunctions, and then it's just, that's it. So the kiln, this is like the oven? That's, right? Yeah, that's the oven, yeah. Um, if, the, if the kiln fires unevenly, maybe there, there's, it's almost like a like a toaster oven will have coils. So those are called elements in a kiln, and you'll have maybe four rows, and my, my kiln has four rows of elements, and if one of them goes bad, you'll have a cold spot in a kiln, and then you may have a piece that fires halfway good and halfway bad. And sometimes you can fix that, but sometimes you can't. So it's even even the most masterful ceramists will probably lose about 10% of what they make just because of the material itself is so technical, and there can be small imperfections in the clay that you don't see until you fire it, and then that becomes a big crack. So it, it it's very technical, and I think... That's another reason that I'm so attracted to it is because of the challenge um, that not anybody can just pick up a piece of clay and make something that they want out of it. It takes a long time. It takes years of, of practice and learning different techniques and studying with different people um, to be able to like fully express yourself through the material.
0: Yeah, and I didn't know that either. Uh, all your pieces have a little hole mm, mm-hmm. and uh, most of the pieces are hollow mm-hmm. and just because it doesn't...
1: Crack or explode or implode. Exactly. So, if you have a um, if you have a solid piece of clay, say it's maybe five inches thick, right? Um, it's not impossible to fire something like that, but it's it's very difficult because there could be there's more likelihood that there's an imperfection within that chunk of clay that could become a crack later. You also want something to be lightweight for transporting. Um, you want it to be uh, dry all the way through before you can fire it, and if it's very thick, it can hold moisture in the center, because that water will turn to steam and blow up in the kiln. So, you know, you 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 know, traditionally, want something to be fairly even all the way around as far as thickness. You don't want to have areas that are super thick and areas that are super thin, um, because you want things to dry evenly. Uh, so there's no air bubbles, so there's no water, there's no moisture hiding that could become an explosion in the kiln later, which can damage other work, it can damage your kiln. So so all of my work um, is hollow for firing purposes, for saving material, you know, you don't need it to be solid necessarily, um, and uh, to make sure that everything doesn't... <laughs> blow up in the kiln hopefully that's the yeah, goal because, right yeah it's, it's <laughs> about 2000 degrees correct mm-hmm. well um, my the work that i'm firing i'm firing to about 1980 so close to 2000 yeah yeah well, yeah
0: 1980 pretty, pretty close <laughs> pretty,
1: but it's it's a uh, you know just 30 degrees can be a big difference in, in a clay body
0: but that's interesting because you turn clay into stone mm-hmm. and you know when we think Stone, we think something
1: very strong. Well, Mm -hmm, it's -hmm. not exactly it. Even though it's stone, it's still very fragile. It's true. But if you think of, uh, if you had something made of stone that was maybe a quarter of an inch thick, you could still drop it, it would break. You know, it's this, you think of a stone that's solid all the way through, and that's what gives it its, its like weight and, and strength. So if you had a piece of clay that you fired solid, you know, you would be making a rock, basically, and it would be just as strong as, you know, a rock that you would find out outside. You know, it, it's my understanding that the process of making rocks are the earth, how the earth makes rocks is through um, the way that our, our, the crust is recycled, basically, you know, you're talking about ge- geological thinking here, you know, the, the dirt will go down into the center of the earth, right where it heats up, and then it's pushed back up through volcanic eruption, and it's like we're this recycling uh, rock is formed from dirt through the heat of our earth. And so I'm kind of mimicking that in a way by taking clay and heating it up very hot and turning it into rock.
0: And there is, I mean, we're talking about clay as a general uh, word, but there is... I assume there is many, many mm-hmm. different types of clay, whether you are in Chile, whether you are in Belgium, mm-hmm. whether you are in, uh, I don't know, Antarctica. I mean, anywhere in the world, I mm-hmm. guess you have different type of clay mm-hmm. and the result of art or, you know, the pieces you come out,
1: I don't know how to say that, but, you know, the different type of clay must definitely have an impact. It's true. There's definitely indigenous clays around the world, um, even... Um... Nearby here, the coast of Alabama, there's a there's a huge clay vein, you know, just like you might have a vein of quartz or coal, um, you can have veins of clay.
0: So ceramic, you know, is a very old craft and it takes many forms, including tableware, tile, figurines, and other sculptures. And for millenniums, I believe, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, artists used pretty much the same techniques. And now, you know, we have new technology, like Rhino software, CNC, and it really changed the way of creating. Can mm-hmm. you explain what you, I mean, what I saw in your studio was actually... Uh, yes, the testimony. <laughs> Yes.
1: Well, uh, I was lucky enough to um, get to take a workshop last summer at the Anderson Ranch Art Center in Colorado and the workshop itself was on uh, using Rhino as a means to um, create three-dimensional forms. So we designed forms in, uh, through, in Rhino, and then we would uh, 3D print them or CNC mill the forms out of foam, and then we would take those objects and then cast them in plaster, and then make molds that we could then pour into with slip. Yeah, I've um, seen the mold in your mm-hmm, studio, mm-hmm. and it's uh, definitely a new approach. No? Yeah, yeah. it's a, uh, Well, you know, that's a good question. It's fa- It's a fairly new way um, for ceramics to make art. It definitely has been used for longer um, in the process of tableware, making teacups and such. You know, um, toilets and bathtubs are used making molds. Um, but... I want to say maybe the last 40 years and uh, I may be wrong on that so forgive me if I'm outing myself for not knowing my ceramics (laughs) my ceramic history um, where artists started to use this technique of slip casting into plaster molds as a way to make sculpture Um, and using Rhino was uh, really exciting for me because of the, the subject matter that I'm making work about which is the mathematics of nature and in the past, I've used um, platonic solids, like dodecahedrons or even spheres, things that are very technically mathematical shapes. And multiplying them in many ways to create these organic forms based on mathematical shapes is a way to be, I don't know, maybe playful. It's very nerdy to be playful in this way, but kind of ironic. I'm making a fractal shape out of a um, you know, Euclidean uh, geometric form. Um, Whereas in in Rhino, I could kind of tap back into that a little bit because there are these forms that you can choose. You can choose a pyramid, you can choose a sphere, and I could multiply that and shrink it and almost um, curate and and build forms using these shapes that existed in the program already.
0: So did it really uh, help you to see things that you might have not think about before? I think Um...
1: it it helped me uh, express... An idea um, much quicker in a way that I think would be much more difficult for me to make by hand. So um, to make a perfect pyramid shape by hand would take days, whereas I could just select it um, on a computer and work through ideas quicker in a way that I wasn't spending all of my time on like a technical part of this process I can spend my time more on the artistic expression part of the process which was uh which is a little bit liberating in a way so that that's something that's exciting to me um having this as a new possible avenue uh is the speed at which I can work through ideas in the studio which is which is great but I also um I don't want to just create a form in Rhino CNC mill it pour plaster, then use it and and cast an object and then boom, it's done. There still has to be some level of me cutting it, sculpting with it, building onto it with objects that I made by pinching the clay in my hands. Because there's got to be that connection. If I'm just slip casting and then they're done, it's almost like I'm like a machine creating these forms and I'm not actually sculpting and forming with my hands, which is what brought me to ceramics in the first place is that kind of physical connection and i want to make sure i keep that or else i'll get bored yeah that makes total sense yeah
0: definitely and um i really invite um our uh, listener to go on sarah's website and her instagram because you can see all the pieces we're talking about and also the installation and you do a lot of you know uh, wall art and installation can you speak about about it
1: sure Uh, I like using the wall to show work because it allows the work to become a bit more integrated into the space it's more part of the room as opposed to sitting on a tabletop in a room and I still like to make tabletop sculpture as well Um, but when it's on the wall you can almost have more control over the angle at which it's viewed if there's something a pattern that I want to show um, that it might be very important for it to be looked at straight on vertically then that's that would be the most appropriate way way to show it if it needs to be seen from all sides then it would be more of a piece that's on a, a pedestal or a tabletop in the center of the room so it's um it's a nice it's a nice option um it's also you know if if it this is this reason is not super selfless but it's uh, it's easier for people to justify purchasing something that can go on the wall <laughs> because they don't have to worry about the physical space of it in the room. Um, but that's that's not on the forefront of my reasoning. But it's definitely an added bonus um, that there's more there's typically more space on walls um, in, in in private homes to to show that type of work. Yes, but that's it's true. it's more about the experience of seeing the piece and having control over, or how people experience it.
0: And Sarah, let's talk about your long art residency. Sure. And that's absolutely fascinating how many countries you de- you visited. You
1: basically traveled the entire globe. <laughs> well, almost. Um, I, uh, I've been to eight art residencies, um, several in the States, and the others have been... Um, in Europe, South America and Asia. And an art residency is a really special thing. It's a, it's kind of, you're removing yourself from your comfort zone and it's a designated time and space to focus on a project or even just to think. You know, I've used some art residencies as just time to draw ideas and think and uh, not even make clay, just to be away from my normal routine in a new place and uh, and and focus 100% of my time and energy on, on the ideas. Which one, uh, the last one you did was in... The last art residency I did was in Chile. Um, and last year, I didn't do a residency. I went to the workshop in Anderson Ranch instead. So um, I've done a few that were um, very quick, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Um, and the longest one I've done was in Baltimore, Baltimore Clayworks, and that was two and a half years
0: And can you tell us how you found this residency? Because I thought it was very smart.
1: Well, a few of them have been funded through grants uh, that that were competitive, that I would write an essay and submit images, and then I would win the money to then travel to these these places. But most of them were funded through uh, crowdsource campaigns. So um, my scheme, I call it a scheme, um, is to uh, do a GoFundMe um, and then... For people who donate, uh, there's different levels. So for $30, you would get maybe a pendant. Um, for you know $100, a planter. And all of these um, these art objects that I would make would be inspired by the residency. So there's an understanding that somebody is donating, and they might have to wait 10 months to get the object. Because I would go to the place, come up with the idea, troubleshoot, maybe a few ideas don't work out, um, come up with an idea that works, that is inspired by the place that fulfills my obligation for this reward level. And then it's almost like a homework assignment. You know, like I have to make 20 of these objects. And by the time I get to the 20th one, well, now I'm ready to make a big, serious art piece because I've gone through all of these ideas making these strange, weird objects that maybe are funny and little, little strange things that are great, but maybe I have to make... 10 or 15 of these of these objects before I can really work out some ideas. So the people that donate to the GoFundMe, they get um, an art object, Um, then I get to receive funds to then do these art residencies. And then the act of making um, all of these gifts for these rewards, it's uh, it kind of makes me do my homework assignment. And then I can create some bigger serious um, art projects, you know, based on all of it. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Oh, well, thanks. No, that's true.
0: (laughs) And um, your work is influenced by patterns found throughout nature, particularly the fractal Mm -hmm, patterns. mm -hmm. And I
1: really want you to talk about it because that's fascinating. Sure. So a fractal is a a pattern that is self-similar. So that means that there are copies of itself within itself. So if you think of a, a head of broccoli and you take off a broccoli floret, well, that looks like... The whole head of the broccoli. And the broccoli floret, you can take a little piece off, and that looks like the floret, and that looks like the whole head. So a broccoli is a one small example of the fractal mathematics of nature. And these patterns are everywhere from clouds to mountains, to the way that fire and water move, to the uh, our nervous system, to the way our lungs branch, to the way trees form, and the way that river systems form, um, to even the The structure of our universe itself. And we can't, of course, see the structure of our universe, but the leading um, scientists in this field are convinced that the structure of our universe is a fractal pattern. And so that makes me feel really um, excited because it's almost this interconnection, like we're all connected through this pattern, you know, the way that my lungs branch are the same way that this tree outside is branching. And that's the same way that our galaxy is formed. So it's a way that we're all kind of connected to ourselves, to each other, to the environment that we're living in. And uh, and that makes me feel... I'm not a religious person, but that almost makes me feel like a similar feeling of like there's this bigger thing that we're all a part of. And that feels very uh, beautiful and almost reassuring to me. So um, I'm making work inspired by this idea um, but particularly, I like to use the imagery of like mountains and water and rock, because uh, that's something that we can all connect to, because we're all living on this planet, right? And uh, also, when we are experiencing nature, it's very calming. It you know our heart rate lowers, we become sharper. Our memory becomes better if we just take a walk through the park. And if I can tap into that a little bit, and make someone feel maybe relaxed or or excited um, about the mathematics of nature, then, then I feel like I'm doing my job as a maker, as an artist.
0: Yeah, your, your work is very
1: therapeutic when you work.
0: Oh, thank it. you, thank yes. you.
1: So then, good, I'm doing my job. Yeah, you are,
0: definitely. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, talk to us about the, uh, when you
1: went in uh, Iceland, maybe. Oh, yes, was... so this was a residency that I did maybe four years ago now, almost wow, that's crazy to think that it was that long. Um, and it was, a. Uh, I I was thinking, okay, where in the world do I want to go? And I thought Iceland because of the dramatic beauty. There's something about mountains that just make me feel almost emotional. And, uh, being around them is very special to me. I know I live in the swamp now, but, um, I, my heart is often in the mountains and I've been really fascinated by glaciers and ice and just the, the beauty of them, um, and I wanted to see that in person. So I researched Icelandic art residencies, there are a lot, and I just applied to a bunch of them until I got into a handful, and then I chose which one I wanted to go to, and then I did the GoFundMe to fund it. Um, and I spent most of the time uh, traveling around, taking photos and making drawings and making plans. Um, and seeing icebergs in person it blew my mind because here is this form with these crazy patterns that somehow naturally have occurred that almost don't make sense. Like you're looking at it like, how did that, how did that even happen? This? How did this ice make this crazy pattern? And it's as big as a house and it's translucent and blue and white. And I've just never seen anything so beautiful in my life. And I was this, you know, crazy American tourist, like crying on a boat at the icebergs. (laughs) I probably (laughs) looked insane. But it was, uh, it was awe inspiring. And so I became a little bit obsessed with glaciers and icebergs. And that that is what inspired my trip to go to Chile, because there are also um, glaciers in the south of Chile. So and it really
0: reflects to uh, in your art.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you can really see all of those forms coming up. It really, it really tapped into something. It's almost like I had been trying to make these forms for years, and then I, di- I didn't quite realize it. And then when I saw it in person, I thought, "Oh, this is this is what I've been trying to make this this object, and here it is, and it's it's huge and glorious." So it it's still it still is affecting what i'm making even though it was just a handful of weeks a handful of years ago but it's still very much influencing what i'm doing and there's also this ephemeral nature right to so ice and glaciers and they're they're disappearing and it almost feels um like i want to see them before they go and uh, and to continue to making work inspired by them you know if i can get someone to to care about Nature, you know, that would be an added bonus of, of uh, making art about it, you know.
0: And, you know, you're talking about the size of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was wondering if it might be a little frustrating that in your art, sometimes you are limited by the oven.
1: Mm-hmm. The, kiln. the yeah. kiln, yeah. The kiln. Yeah. Uh, that is a little bit... It is a little frustrating, but I try not to spend time being frustrated because I can't change it at the moment, because it's the kiln that I have. So, you know, when I was in graduate school, I made the mistake of making a sculpture that was so big that I needed uh, several people to help me move it. And it just felt so stupid. I said, why did I do this to myself? So, So now I'm making work that may take up a whole wall, but it's made of smaller pieces that I can move myself um, that I don't need a team of people to move. Um, I'm just not in the point of my career that I have a team <laughs> that I can hire out to move the things that I'm making. So um, I've just uh, adapted to you know the, the space and the kiln that I have. And I feel like I can still make um, larger work that maybe is assembled after it's been fired. So I can make pieces that are then, maybe they are just placed next to each other and they are one piece but they're they're separate pieces, or I can even physically epoxy together forms to make larger pieces.
0: And it makes me think that you know what is imp- what I really like in your work is the interaction between the forms, the shadows, the contrast contrast between the form, the textures, and you can see that when you put different pieces next to each other, it
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: really makes sense. Well,
1: what you're you. saying
0: about you know just if you cannot do a big piece, then you just bring elements together and it still works beautifully.
1: And that that makes sense because, you know, some of the ideas that I'm thinking about with with this fractal mathematics is that whether it's tiny, you know, the, the branching of our brain cell is very tiny, but it looks just like the branching of a massive tree. And so you can still get the same visual feeling, right, if you scale down or scale up. So... It, it doesn't, it shouldn't take too much away from it if it's sm- slightly smaller, right? You just have okay. to kind of get a little closer and zoom in, yeah. become a little more intimate with it.
0: It really makes sense. Yeah. And your work is represented in gallery here in New Orleans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you can, can you let us know where?
1: Sure. Um, there's a gallery on Magazine Street, and you might have to pronounce it for me because I will mispronounce it, being that it is in French. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Atelier Mimi. Yes, what she said. <laughs> And it's on Magazine Street, and uh, it's a new gallery. And uh, it's, um, I believe, nine nine artists: um, ceramists, uh, painters, fabric workers, um, and uh, and it's a really sweet space. I recommend it. And also the Ogden Museum of Southern Art; uh, they have a gift shop that's called the um, Center for the Center for Southern Art and Craft, and they have some of my work as well.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the next steps of your creative journey?
1: Well, my next steps are this year. I am focusing one hundred percent on making uh, larger work that will then beef up my portfolio again. You know, the my like I call my scheme of uh, doing GoFundmes to fund art residencies. Well, I will spend almost my entire year fulfilling those. Um, reward levels. So I'm spending maybe 10 months of my year making $100 objects, and although I'm grateful for people who have donated, and I'm grateful for having these residency experiences, it's almost, in a certain way, holding the ideas back slightly because I'm spending so much time making small objects, and I'm not spending my time making big work, not not caring how many hours it's taking, not not thinking, oh, I have to make it in a, in a small amount of time so I can charge a small amount of money so I can maybe sell it. <clears throat> so so this year I'm focusing on making art for my portfolio that will then be used to apply for long-term art residencies next year, more more competitive programs that will last for 12 months. So my plan is to apply next year and uh, hopefully I get into something something exciting. And then uh, my partner and myself will pick up and move for a year to wherever I get. Um, I really miss being part of a ceramics community, and I really miss teaching clay. And so I would like to uh, get that back again. So that's my plan. Yeah, and we wish you the best of luck. Cal. Thanks. I'm still here for another year and a half, and then, <laughs> and then we'll see. <laughs> I know you listen to a lot of podcasts. Can you just share with us,
0: you know, your favorite ones?
1: Sure. Well, I listen to a lot of science podcasts. So my favorites right now are Hidden Brain and the TED Radio Hour. Um, but I also really like Invisibilia. They don't always do science, but they sometimes do. Um, and I also really like storytelling podcasts. So Snap Judgment is another favorite of mine.
0: Tara, thank you so much for um, coming to me today and for letting me visit your studio. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me
1: and you are always welcome in my studio. A bientôt. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening and thank you to Sarah for joining me on this episode of Textures. If you want to find out more about Sarah and her work, visit her website at sarahouse.com and our Instagram at Sarah House Art. I will include all the links in the episode page. If you like this episode, subscribe to Textures on your favorite platform. Follow us on Instagram at textures.podcast or on my website at slash podcasts Take the time to review us and do not hesitate to share it with your friend. Thank you so much for listening. À bientôt.